The following audio content is a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org. Good morning. Please turn with me to Psalm 90. It's our psalm for today. It is on page 476 in the Bibles in your pews. Rustling, rustling, rustling. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. You sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it's dry and withered. You are consumed, we are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins and the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Every child at some point in his or her young life is asked the same fateful question. What do you want to be when you grow up? Heck, some of us are still asking that question right now as adults. But when you were a wee bit of a thing, what did you want to be when you grow up? Okay, raise your hand if you wanted to be a fireman. Are there no firemen in the crowd? I can't believe it. Up there, the balcony. Oh, there, Tim. Thank you, Tim Snow, wanted to be a fireman. How about our astronauts? There's got to be an astronaut. Oh, good. There we go. Nice. Superheroes. Can we have a good? The Queen of England? Oh, good. There's more of us than just me. That's great. Yes, I wanted to be the Queen of England when I was a child because I saw Princess Diana get married at a very impressionable age. And I figured if she could do it, I could do it. But that's not all. I also wanted to be a flower in the waltz of the flowers in the Nutcracker. Yes, I was that specific about it. I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to win the Kentucky Derby. And I wanted to be president of the United States. I had very small dreams as a child. How one could be president, though, and the Queen of England at the same time was not really troubling when I was five. But So I was thinking about my young self and these delusions of grandeur I had. And at first I thought, boy, geez, I was a cocky little thing. But then I realized it wasn't about the fame and the fortune and the power. It was all about the cool outfits. 
that tutus, the gowns, the racing stripes, and okay, I guess pretty cool houses too if they're white or Windsor, take your pick. Mock, if you will, but you know it is all about the outfits. Okay, uniform sounds more masculine for you guys out there, but come on. How masculine is a superhero cape? And you cannot be an A-list superhero without a cape. And you know when the police officers on Sunday morning tell you to cross over on 15th, you're thinking, that is a cool outfit for (laughs) uniform. You know, you know, you secretly want to flash that badge and stop speeding cars with a glance of your eyes. Okay, well, maybe, maybe it's more than that. Maybe these childhood dreams really are about a desire to be somebody or something in life, to make our own mark. As kids, we reach for the stars. We want to make an impact in the world in our own unique way. Rare is the child that says they want to be in a middle management cubicle when they grow up. In the 80s hit romantic comedy, Say Anything, the protagonist Lloyd Dobler, played by John Cusack, puts it perfectly, when asked by his girlfriend's father that same fateful question, Lloyd clears his throat and says, I don't want to sell anything, buy anything, or process anything as a career. I don't want to sell anything, bought, or processed, or buy anything, sold, or processed, or process anything, sold, bought, or processed (laughs) as a career. No, the author of Psalm 90 was not thinking about making widgets or even about being some sort of Davidic superhero when writing this psalm. But that same longing for importance in this short life of ours pulsates throughout this song of prayerful lament for himself and for his people. This psalm is attributed to Moses, although it's more than likely written in the exile by someone dwelling on Moses and the Israelites while they are wandering in the wilderness And it certainly echoes what Moses must have felt at the time, small and lost and insignificant. Regardless of who and when, this psalm, like so many, transcends place and time. Psalm 90 is a psalm of longing to bring meaning out of our lives, yearning to be significant in some way. And yet in the midst of this song of prayer is the acknowledgement that any significance we can possibly achieve in this earthly life is dust. In the sight of God, from the view of eternity, the psalmist realizes we are but a blink of an eye, a puff of dust, just gone in an instant. Juxtaposing how small we are with the vastness of God, the psalmist starts out praising God for God's omnipresence and power. He says, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, O mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or a watch in the night. You sweep people away in a sleep of death. They're like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it's just dried and withered. In the light of all eternity, from God's perspective of timeless authority and power, how can we be anything but dust or grass? The psalmist muses, All our days pass away under your wrath, and we finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass, and we fly away. God, the psalmist points out, is not transient. Is not transient. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but we are extremely transient. We're like grass that just burns up in a single day. Lives are over in a sigh and a groan. 
this is all fairly depressing, especially for the starry-eyed dreamers who wanted to make some sort of an impact. The force of our own mortality hits both us and the writer of this psalm. We want to cry out with the author of Ecclesiastes, all is vanity and striving after wind. No wonder, in light of our nasty, brutish, and short lives, we want to make an impact in the world as quickly as possible. We desperately want people to think we are something or somebody special. And yet, no matter how high we get in the social stratosphere, or no matter how many of our career goals we meet, it seems to never be enough. It seems to never satisfy. In the Oscar-nominated film Frost-Nixon, President Nixon calls the reporter David Frost late one night at a pivotal juncture in the movie, and he sends the following to a stunned David Frost. No matter how many awards or column inches are written about you or how high the elected office is, it's not enough. We still feel like the little man, like the loser. That sounded a little bit like Mr. Potter instead of Mr. Nixon. I'm sorry, President Nixon there is a really bad impression. But the point is, this is the president of the United States, leader of the free world. Even the highest office in the land isn't enough to satiate his appetite for importance. It's never enough. We look to the fame, the fortune, the trendsetters to tell us whether we're good enough, strong enough, beautiful enough. Even in church, we want to be holy enough. Never let them see you hurting or doubting or struggling with any sin, because that might mean you don't love Jesus. Add to this that when we look at our global society that we're in, not to mention the whole of human history, we can feel so small, so petty, so incidental, numberless. When thousands die in wars, in famine, in natural disasters, and planes go down, or little boys get cancer. <coughs> we wonder, what's the point? I remember when I was 11 and my grandfather died suddenly, and my world was rocked to the core. What amazed me was nothing else in the world stopped. Shampoo commercials kept playing on television instead of the emergency alert system. People got in their cars and went about their normal life, and I... I didn't understand how when the world lost such an honorable, good, and beloved man, the world itself didn't pause, didn't take a breath, but the world didn't feel the void at all. The world didn't notice, and I felt numberless. If my world is so puny and insignificant, why would this all-powerful, eternal God know me, let alone care about me or hear my cry? Yet our psalmist is convinced that God does hear. God does care. The poet sees our minuteness but still calls out in faith to the God who has been faithful from everlasting to everlasting. The psalmist, despite his awareness of his own smallness, knows he can cry out to God and actively expects an answer from God. Relent, O Lord, he cries. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Could it be that this eternal God does indeed care? If not, why bother even addressing God, let alone crying out for God's compassion? Not only this psalm, but many sing to the intimate knowledge and care of God, that God has for us. Psalm 139 is perhaps the most well-known, and it's beautiful poetry on the intimacy of God's knowing us. Lord, the psalmist says, you have searched me and you know me. 
You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted in all my ways. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me together in my mother's womb. The writers of the Psalms obviously believe that not only is God one who hears and cares, but one who knows us intimately. Now, that's lovely, but the Psalms are poetic, not necessarily doctrinal, not necessarily how things function day to day. So how do we know that God sees us for real as individuals and also as the human race as a whole? How do we know that God sees us as significant, as worth God's time? Well, the answer to that is Jesus. Jesus is our proof. Now, I know that seems simple. I know it sounds like the only right answer to any question asked in a church. It's like if somebody asks you where the bathroom is, you've got to go, Jesus, no, the Bible, I don't know, which one? But truly, how we really know that God up there cares about little us down here is that God came down here, incarnate in Jesus of Nazareth. God came in Jesus to show us what is the height and breadth and width of God's love for us as individuals and as a whole. That God so loved the world. That God himself went to the cross for the world. And while Psalm 139 may seem over-sentimental, Jesus himself proclaims in Luke 12, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are more value than many sparrows. So how are we significant in this life? We are significant in the sight of Almighty God. In the eyes of others, our star may be waxing or waning, but bathing in the light of Jesus, we are shining lights, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We are part of God's eternity in Christ. We are part of God's family. Our psalmist persists. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. May your deeds be shown to your servants and your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Even amidst the psalmist recognizing our own smallness compared to God, he still cries out to God to notice God's people and to smile upon them. I love how honest and human the psalms are. Here he has just gotten through saying that we are nothing but dust, and in the great scheme of things, our lives don't amount to a hill of beans. But he ends the psalm saying, All the same, Lord, establish the work of our hands for us. Bless our work. Establish us. Make our work lasting and significant. To desire to have our work impact others and be lasting is not in and of itself wrong, In fact, we're often called to impact the world for good, rescuing the oppressed, feeding the hungry, loving our neighbors. But where we start to stumble is the motivation that is behind our desire for impact. Indeed, to give any less than our best to our work, our relationships, and our lives wastes the precious gift of life that God has given us. It's burying our gifts in the sand. But ultimately, ultimately what makes us significant and our work blessed 
is God, the author of our lives. Our walk with God is not about who we are in the world. It's about whose we are. We are almighty gods. The hairs on our head are important to the creator of the universe. We belong to this God of unceasing love and grace and mercy. Like children to our parents, we belong to the family of God. And that changes how we behave in the world, who we are in the world. If one is part of the Corleone family, for example, one behaves a certain way. If one is part of the Brady Bunch, one behaves a different way. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Yes, we mess up. But we learn our lessons and we grow. We don't get thrown out of the family or sold to the circus. In the same way, we are children of God. And nothing we can do changes that. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing we can do changes whose we are. We can turn away from God or fall on our knees in front of him. Regardless, our actions are Regardless of our actions, we are still gods. Just as my daughter, Sienna, can move to Brazil or change her name or never speak to me again, she's still mine. And not mine in just name and genetics. No matter where she goes or what she does, I will still love her. It's like that classic kid's book, Runaway Bunny, where the little bunny wants to run away from Mommy Bunny, right? And he says, well, I will turn into a fish or a flower or a bird to run away from you, Mommy. To which the Mommy Bunny replies, then I will be a fisherman or a gardener or a tree you fly home to. Okay, I know this is no Dostoevsky, but it illustrates the depth and length of parental love. How much more so is the love of God for God's children? I will leave the 99 to find the one lost. Now, look, you can get into a bunch of theological contortions on this. Well, what about Hitler? And what if you believed and then you walked away? And the Greek heiress passive of love looks different in all these passages. And blah, blah, blah. And Augustine and Calvinists. And, oh, stop it. We Presbyterians can overthink things to our detriment sometimes. And there are a lot of big brains crammed into this sanctuary today. Yes, in John Medina, wherever you are, the brain does rule. But can't we for once stop and breathe and rest, knowing that we are God's and God is ours? That's what the psalmist is doing. He's saying, I know I'm dust, but I also know that dust I may be. I am yours, Lord. Our lives are significant because they matter to God, and they matter to God because we are God's children. Sienna may not do anything glorious in the eyes of the world, but she'll always be glorious to me. Why do you think parents force unwitting people to look at hundreds of pictures of their children? It's because we find our children wonderfully important. So I'm trying to imagine God with this like bulging wallet full of pictures and he's flipping it open and they all tumble out and God's like, Peter, look, this is when Susan learned to ride a bike. Isn't it sweet? And this is from a different angle. Wait, Peter, where are you going? I'm not finished. I digress. Where are we? We're at Jesus. Jesus being the ultimate proof that God does not only love, know us and love us, but that because of him, 
We are part of God's family. Because of Christ, we are part of God's family. And out of that knowing of whose we are, what family we're from, we are to then act accordingly in the world. But how then do we act? My husband doesn't like it in sermons when there isn't a practical application part. Okay, he'll say, even in the midst of my life being short, and even if I seem like just a number to the world, I still matter to the eternal God, thus to eternity and self and itself, and that's what should motivate me in the world. Okay, but how, he'll ask, do I live that out on a day-to-day basis? How now shall I live with this knowledge? Well, he may not like the answer very much, because the answer is, I don't know. Neither does the psalmist. He simply asks for God to bless the work of his hands. I don't know because the answer to living this out looks different from person to person. We all know we're supposed to love God and others and strive against sin in our lives. But how that plays out is unique for all of us. In the same way that my brother and I express love to and live out the teaching of our mother differently, we will all live out our understanding of belonging to God differently. George last week mentioned Mother Teresa, and even amidst her doubt, she lived her belonging to God out by serving in the slums of India her whole life. Sienna's godfather lived it out by choosing one day to miss a crucial business meeting to help his wife, who was stranded on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere and helpless. The Benedictine monks live it out by doing tasks as simple as peeling potatoes. The rock band U2 lives it out, not only through their artistic excellence and the causes they advance, but through the very songs that they sing. Their new album's second track is called Magnificent, and it echoes the psalmist cry. Bono sings, I was born to be with you in this space and time. After that, I haven't had a clue. I was born to sing for you. From the womb, my first cry was a joyful noise. Justified till we die, you and I will magnify the magnificent. You and I will magnify the magnificent. I can't tell you how you personally can magnify the magnificent, but every day of our short lives, we do. For better or for worse, we magnify God to the world because we are God's own. Magnify the magnificent. That's what makes our lives count. That is what makes us somebody. And that's why we come to the communion table. Not just to remind ourselves of what Jesus did for us, that he opened the way home for us, but we also come to refresh ourselves anew at our family table. We come home and we imbibe deeply. We come home from that long journey to look into the eyes of our Lord, to remember and acknowledge that we are his. And at this table, we taste eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so grateful for your steadfast love. Amidst your power and might, we are awed by the fact that we are significant to you. We matter to you. We are so thankful that you have invited us to eternity. And as we taste eternity today at your family table, may you give us the grace and strength to take eternity into our world and magnify you. Amen.
All University Presbyterian Church online audio is available on both CD and cassette. If you would like to support the mission of UPC by ordering copies of sermons or classes, please visit www.upc.org forward slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.